3: I am a feminist,
0: but Anthony Bridgerton from Bridgerton. Four. <laughs> 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 oh, Jesus. I enjoyed that, Deb.
4: I don't even know who you're talking about, and I love it. You know, it.
0: Bridgerton, it was on over the break. It was yeah, on but over I I mean, the break. It. The break from what? From yeah. not leaving the house. The break between the time I didn't leave the house and I didn't leave the house. Yeah, uh, that the one. The Christmas break. It's a romp. That's clear. Yeah
4: a period romp.
0: It's a re- restoration romp with Oof. lots of anticipation of sex, description of sex, a young woman who are about to be married or have a bit on the side before they get married asking about what is sex and then loads and loads of sex. Uh, and it's good sex. It's like it's it was written by a man. I'm disappointed to say. It's a British, <laughs> it's a show about British women mostly and it was written by an American man, but that's where we are. In the history mm. of television. And it's a lot of fun. It's got our guilty feminist friend, Nicola Coughlin, in it, mm. who played Claire the Wee Lesbian in Dairy Girls. And she's been on the show a couple of times. And she's also done Secret Policeman's Tour stuff with us. And she's brilliant. And she's in it. So that was my initial. She was posting about it before it came on. So I thought, I'll yeah. oh, give it a look. It's now become a huge hit. Huge, huge hit. It's erotica for women in many ways, as well as being, you know, brilliant, loltastic fun and is very escapy.
4: Deb, nobody believes that you're watching it for the storylines. Don't worry.
0: I'm, I'm reading it for the articles. i reading for the Yeah, that's clear.
4: I'm a feminist, but I had to get my husband to fix the sound on my microphone no. before this recording.
0: Oh, I saw it. I witnessed it. I saw you try and have a go and then go, I'll just get my husband.
4: I did a really good go. I worked It was really a good hard. go. It was a really good you go. You tried hard. Air. You
0: didn't give in at the first mm. But he did he ultimately couldn't fix it, I think. Well.
4: No, he didn't. He couldn't fix it. We ended up having to just use the good old headphones plugged into the computer.
0: Well, there you are. What you've proven so, is men are no better than women. That's a feminist uh- act, if anything. I'm a feminist, but Simon Bassett from Bridgerton. <laughs> four. I mean, seriously, he's the one. He's going to be James Bond. He's got that intensity and that. Mm, mm. So, better than Idris? I don't know. They say Idris Elba's going to be too old.
4: Idris is too old for
0: nothing. But Idris is getting better with age. I'm just telling you what I've read on Twitter. Don't blame me, blame Twitter.
4: Well, that's not news. That's not a, news, a credible news source.
0: Are you suggesting that the Battle of Argencourt is not a great place to get your news because that is the same? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Anthony Bridgerton is, like, ostensibly, like, A sort of unreconstructed man, like he's shagging around, but his sister has to marry the right person, etc. and so forth. You know, the standard patriarchy. No
4: prophylactics, I'm sure.
0: Uh don't think they're using prophylactics. No. I don't think there's any condom action.
4: Just a plazo bag? What are they using?
0: I just it's too shiny to get into that kind of messy. There's no yeah. semen in this show. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's when they go into a ballroom, there's a string quartet playing a Billie Eilish song. It's that kind of thing. Oh, dear. So, there's no, no it's Ryan Joy. Listen, <laughs> you will find a lot of listeners going to the Battle of Cross simply to tell you that this is a brilliant
4: show. Look, lots of people, I'm sure it's very good. It's just restoration is. Not my era,
0: no, at and there's, all. There's also critique about you know all sorts of intersectional things, and you know all, as as there always is on everything. And so I, I won't get into that because this is my infamous butt segment. I'm just having because you're old.
4: flooring. You're I trying to just floor discovered
0: Jonathan Bailey in Phoebe Waller-Bridge's show, crashing the show she did before. Oh. Fleabag. He is lovely looking.
4: Would you say this is world of the
0: fours? <laughs> yes, it's world <laughs> four three. It is um, Simon <laughs> Basil. On the other hand, is a good guy in the show. Okay. But of course, you know, characters are complicated. Nobody's all good. Uh, But Simon Bassett, I think, has got the real sex appeal. He takes the gold medal in this. And
4: what does he he do for you that you
0: think, oh, yeah, he's. It's just a look, isn't it? It's just a charisma. It's just a sex appeal. It's just a sort of.
4: I'm a feminist, but I put on makeup for this podcast.
0: (laughs) Yes, you did. I just.
4: I just felt like death. And I'm like, I've got to put a bit of concealer on. For these women, I don't know. I mean they're talking about saving the Amazon Rangers, and I'm like, oh, my eyebrows are a little uneven.
0: I am in the same pyjamas I woke up in. I haven't showered today. There's been no call for it.
4: No, I had a bath with a one-year-old, so am I really clean? No, no.
0: definitely not. Worse. Than oh, well, the- I, I, I only
4: got dressed for this as well. I wasn't dressed before the
0: podcast. So. <laughs> I d- look, I'm in a T-shirt that's pyjamas. Mm. Like no one would have known that I'm not wearing I'm, a bra.
4: I'm in a top that um, fit me when I was much skinnier and when I was pregnant and now is getting a little tight was fine when I was pregnant but now is a bit tight and I've sort of I had these earrings on too I had to take them off because of the sound but I looked like um I was like a 2000s waitress that was actually wanted to get out of this job and she had an arts career I don't
0: think (laughs) it's looking you look great oh I love the little tie on the blouse
4: yeah I just did that because it it goes over my fat better. (laughs)
0: I think it's I think you're looking fantastic. Thank you, mate. I'm a feminist, but Penelope Featherington in Bridgerton. <laughs> Four. Four. That is, in fact, my friend Nicola Cochland, but she is she's got a very high bustage in it. You know when they heave yes. up the yes. bustage. And she's also got in it a sort of mover and shaker energy about her. I find her the hottest woman in the show. Um, Is it the high tits? Just generally, again, it's an energy with people, isn't it? She's got a slightly 'er ne'er-do-well slash righteous indignation energy about her and brilliant breasts, and I can't go past that.
4: I'm a feminist bug. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time on TikTok watching children and their makeup tutorials. (gasps) Do you? There's a lot of very good makeup tutorials on there and there's one girl in particular, her name's Michaela and she's from Massachusetts and she's got the wildest, most incredible Massachusetts accent and she has like very porcelain skin and stuff like that and then she goes, how you going, what's poppin'? I'm like, I (laughs) fucking love you.
0: Yes. Grace Petrie, do you have any I'm a feminist spots for us? You don't have to but just if you want to chip him in.
2: No, I don't think so. I know they take me so long to write because I'm such a good feminist. Yours so whenever happens. I need any, <laughs> You are always whenever so good, I need. I, that, I honestly, they take me about six months uh, per per one wow, to write. Really I think I, it, maybe this counts. I don't know. I'm a feminist, but um, my girlfriend is stuck in my house for lockdown. And when we realised that was going to be the case and she couldn't leave for a month, I said, I'm not sad. <laughs> and I think maybe that just makes me a bit of a weirdo. Uh, but, um, no, it's
0: good. I mean, well, last time I had uh, I had uh, Fokie Ben, but he's he's flown the nest. I imagine it's a little bit more, f- as fun as Fokie Ben is, and Fokie Ben is fun, I imagine it's more fun to be mm. there with your girlfriend. It is. It really is.
4: Yeah, Fokie Ben. Or fucky girlfriend.
0: (laughs) No, okay.
2: Thank you. No, okay. Thank you. Oh, I'm a feminist, but I'm happy my
0: fucky girlfriend is trapped here for a month. (laughs) (inaudible) I can hear the Guilty Feminist theme tune coming in there. I know where Tom's going to end that now. From a variety of kitchens and bedrooms via Zoom, the Spontaneous Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Frances White, guest co host Felicity Ward, and our very special guests, Frances Lumbrick, Mary Menton, Justin Taylor, and Claude-Lee Santos, talking about defending the environment! <laughs> Woo! Environment <laughs> defenders all! This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists, our proxies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White, with me is Felicity Ward, and we're talking about environmental defenders. Woo! 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 Hello, Felicity Ward, co pilot, oh, mine. Hi, Deborah. Hello. Hello. How are you, lovely? Oh, it's so lovely to see you. Now, I hear tell online that you have got COVID 19. I have
4: the Rona. I have the Rona. Oh, my lord. I'm on, I'm on day. Nine, I think. Do you know how you Um, got it? Yes, I do. I got it from my son's nursery, uh, of which are staying open in the hard lockdown. So that seems unusual. We've basically been living a hard lockdown since March. Uh, We have vulnerable family members. So we have seen in the entire year in the UK, we have been to three people's houses back in September, three different people's houses, one of them family. On my 40th birthday, I went to an outdoor cafe. We wore masks and freaked out the whole time. So it's been very upsetting that our nursery closed a week early. I think they said One of the boys has got it and is in your son's class, so he has to isolate. Then we found out some of the staff had it, and then we found out other kids had it and other parents. So we got tested before Christmas, got a negative test, had Christmas, and two days after Christmas I was like, oh, I feel really flu-y." But because I'd had the test, I'm like, it's not COVID, though. It's just a cold. It's winter. My body's weak. I'm weak. And then my husband's back went. And leg went and he's been in spasm all week and no painkillers have worked. So I have been looking after my husband and my baby. Well, my husband has been like sleeping on the floor. He's in so much pain. Oh, my God. And um, he was going to get an MRI scan and thought just to be on the safe side, I'll go and get a COVID test. And I was like, I would love to get out of the house. So <laughs> we, um, we did a drive-through. Uh, it's like Macca's. <laughs> um, <laughs> you put looking at your nose instead of just in your mouth, and the next day we got it that we were positive. So uh, wow. we've all just um, – we've had a week from hell, Deb, and how delightful it is to be here.
0: It's a hard luck life
4: for it Flick. It is. It's a hard mm. luck life for me. And now my knee's popping. Sorry, oh just got to – oh, you can't hear that, listeners, but it,
0: it wasn't very good. I hear you. Grace Petrie, you're in lockdown in Leicester. Hello i mean, lockdown. That's all we ever do in Leicester. We barely come out
2: of lockdown you, in Leicester. Yeah, you know. really not come out. How are you? figures? We're old hat. We're old hat at it. Our figures are pretty bad up here Even in the Even though you've been locked but, down the uh, whole time? What is that? Well, not the whole time because uh, I don't know if you heard about this, Deb, but we, it, was, it was all right over Christmas. Oh, <laughs> it, yeah. well, everything was cancelled on Christmas Day because <sighs> the coronavirus is a Christian. Even now you can still go to communal worship. Did you know that? Even I know the that there rules, are
4: support groups that can meet up to 15 people and um, one of them I'm involved with and I'm just like, I'm not going, guys. No. I am not. Mm. I mean, I can now. I have COVID. Mm, so yeah. I'm, I've got yeah. antibodies for no, a may of down, <laughs> No, maybe don't
5: though.
4: No, fuck not it. Not while you've got them. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm going to give it to them. They deserve it. Until <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: vaccinated <laughs> now, I think I'm just I'm just locking down until I'm vaccinated because the strain on the NHS is so appalling. Yeah. That we can't afford it. We just can't afford it. So anyone who can stay mm. home has to stay home. And that's muggins. That's me, mate. And many, many that's more mugginses. Too. And mm. I am a lucky one that can stay home, frankly.
2: There's yeah. People that yeah, well, come. my sister uh, had it just before Christmas and um, she, her child brought her home from school. She's a teacher. You know, I think the, the teachers have just, you can cut this out if you want, but I think it, it's crazy. And I think... Crazy. It's a scandal, it a scandal that, uh, that they're not even, even now they're not talking about making teachers and school staff one of the first groups to be vaccinated. I just think these, they've it's... been used as basically
0: cannon fodder. It's a scandal. What I'm learning here is don't have a child. I'm learning that really. Yeah, <laughs> that's... yeah that's a good
4: lesson. Because we've is not had COVID lesson. in this
0: flat, but nor have we had a small person in and out and all about. Mm. And it's hard. it's hard with children. I absolutely see it. I see the strain on families as well having to have children, you know, the whole, because when you mm. have a child, the deal is the state will take it for most of its life. Mm. And the state has yeah, done. look,
4: we've decided it was a mistake, um, but he won't go back in. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, it doesn't fit anymore. His head gro- has grown. Yeah, it's to grown anything. too
4: much. It's yeah. grown too much. My I belly mean, has grown. It looks like there's probably room for him, but the door has very much shrunk. You've pulled up the drawbridge like Brexit. That's right.
0: I mean, yeah. most newborn babies are about the size of a loaf of bread and getting that out of a hole the size of a tampon, I imagine, is a challenge.
4: Yeah, and it's, it's firm bread too. It's old bread. It's
0: bonier <laughs> <laughs> bread than, than the
4: Yeah, it's a, it's a sourdough. It's, more it's a, a <laughs> ciabatta <laughs>
2: crust. <laughs> it's cr- crouton, crouton consistency, yeah. I think. It's tough
0: on the
4: soft palate. We'll say that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't feel my <laughs> vaginal region was made for a focaccia departure.
2: <laughs> wow!
0: Despite the presence of wow. yeast, no, there that, it is. Listen, the there lockdown's done wonders for my rhyming.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll be. That honest, was wonderful. Linings, okay. I want to. Can we partner on a musical called "Focaccia Departure"? Yeah, <laughs> you I, say focaccia,
0: <laughs> and, and I say focaccia. Let's call the whole thing. The off. Whole thing off. There, is. This is writing itself. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's much more work to do. Really. This is the most creative outlet I've had yeah. in weeks. <laughs> I'm, I'm not
4: saying it's the lockdown, but are we geniuses? <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's like eye. being high, being in lockdown, isn't it, where you think everything yeah. you come up with is amazing and should be a musical, and then the next day you go, hmm, it yeah. was, no, n- none of the that The next day, awesome. the next
4: year, once <laughs> yeah. you've pitched it to everyone and they're like, God, stay away from Felicity, she got some <laughs> stinky ideas.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I am part of a WhatsApp group that you're part of too, Fleck, um, yeah. that was called, at the end of last year, was called Roll On 2021. I renamed it today to Roll On 2022 because 2021 doesn't seem to be offering any of the goods that it promised us, which is a complete relief from the horror of 2020.
4: Almost worst. It's almost worse. The week of my husband being in such agonising pain that he couldn't sit down or stand up or lie down for really any more than 20 minutes for a couple of days, Mm. that was very hard to watch him but then also look after him and a baby Mm. was also very tricky with COVID.
5: It's
0: easy to be at first sympathetic to such an injury and then after a while just annoyed, like, why are you not better? I am trying to mind a baby here and now I've got COVID, get up and look after me, stop being in pain. Did you find him irritating? Look,
4: my husband and I have long had chats where he is very enthusiastic about telling me what is going on for him physically at all times just in case it's something, and I am very much of the opposite where I'm like, I think I need to go to hospital. I, like when my water broke, I was like, oh, I should probably wake Chris up.
0: But then you thought, oh, am I being a nuisance?
4: Well, it's just like, well, I don't, I'm not in labour. So do I just go back to sleep? What do I do? I woke him up. But, yeah, Chris is very much the opposite of that. And so we've had a couple of timeouts where I've said, honey, I'm at capacity of hearing about your body at the moment. Um, And that is the most loving way I could say that. I should also say he's usually incredible, like does 90% of all the cooking and 60% of all the cleaning. I'm a very bad wife is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm a terrible wife, but I feel I'm a very good partner. I'm a good life partner, but I have no wife skills at all, and I'm not sure. interested in developing them. I'm yeah. sure that must be disappointing for Tom Selinsky, but he knew what he was getting into when he married me. Actually, he didn't because I could pretended I could cook. Um, oh, did you? And you can't cook? No. Oh,
4: Deb, I was, love that
0: for you. There was a deli near me where you could go down and buy a pre-prepared stir fry or pie in a ceramic dish uh, so it looked like you'd cooked it. So he oh. thought, not only is she a brilliant cook, but everything's cleaned up as she goes. And she just pulls this pie out of the what oven. A she pulls out this amazing dish. And it was all a heat up situation. <laughs> now, obviously, that was too expensive to continue, but it did the trick of luring him in. My God, this That's- is such an I'm a feminist spot. I'm so ashamed and embarrassed. <laughs> it was a different time in my life. Yay. I just didn't want to say I can't cook, I thought it was a bit lazy. I did cook well, and I it is. for nanny children, but it was all like fish fingers and stuff and, you know, that's not real. He's a better cook. Let him do it, I say. He loves it. Yeah. Um, although tonight we have ordered Nando's because I'm very hungry.
4: On a scale of lemon to herb to extra hot, how hungry are you?
0: I'm extra hot hungry, but I've ordered yeah. lemon and herb because I'm Yeah, that's a- because you're a pussy. <laughs> Uh, you're a <laughs> feminist, but you've used the word pussy. I think, look, I usually forget, get lemon herbs. Don't forget. I love lemon herbs. But pussy is something that can take a jabata departure. It can take a jabata. It can't take chili, though. And I found
4: that out the hard way when I used a chili body wash. Ooh. And then I had to have a memorial for my vagina. A chili body wash. That's, That's, yeah. That sounds it was like, like those, a bad idea, though, right? You know, those mint ones, those fresh mint ones that are like, mm-hmm. this uses 600 mint leaves. And you're like, yeah, and that burns a little bit, but it's kind of nice burn. And then there was another one that was like orange and chili. I'm like, well, it's not going to be burning because it goes in your, wow. your, around your bits. Turns out yeah. it was a spicy little number
0: mm. 60 shades of body wash.
4: Yeah, it was a ghost pepper.
0: I don't know why it was 60 shades, not 50 shades. I just felt I needed to up the ante. Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah. We're all stuck inside, but we're doing what we can to bring you as much Guilty Feminist goodness as possible. On Wednesday, the 27th of January, you can sign up to watch us record an episode of the podcast live at King's Place in London. There'll be no live audience because of lockdown, but we will be there and it will all be safely done. We can read out your comments and questions and you can get to see us as well as hear us and see all the things we cut out of the final edit. And if you can't make 7.30pm UK time, you've got a whole 72 hours in which to watch the recording. To get your tickets, go to kingsplace.co.uk or see the link on our website. I'm also doing another series of Skills Booster webinars. We got such great feedback from these at the end of last year, but some people said the afternoon time wasn't great for them. So I'm doing the same three topics, but at 8.30pm in the evening. So you could join me after you've got home from work or put the kids to bed or walk to the dog. And if you watched last time, do feel free to watch again. topics are the same, but I always think of new things to say and new ways to say them. And people always ask different questions. We're starting Wednesday, 17th of Feb with Include Yourself and Include Others. And you can get tickets by going to guiltyformalist.com or by clicking the link in the show notes. And also, Refugee Community Kitchen are still looking for more volunteers. So if you're in any way able to look into that with a view to volunteering, they would appreciate it so much. Lastly, thank you so much to everyone who has signed up to support us on Patreon. We really couldn't keep the podcast going without your support. No exaggeration. We're doing regular monthly Zoom hangouts where you can ask me questions, hear what's going on in my life. And for the next one, Monday 25th of January, we're doing a Burns Night poetry special with some surprise guests. It'll be feminist poetry, not Burns poetry, let's be incredibly honest. So to be a part of that, and lots of jokes and lols and chat. So to be part of that, go now to patreon.com slash guiltyfeminist and sign up. We've also just released some warm-up material from the North American tour, exclusive to Patreon, so there's lots of goodies waiting for you. I know the pandemic has hit a lot of people very hard, but if you're not already contributing and it's possible for you to show your support, then every penny really does count. And if you can't help us financially, why not spread the word? We love it when you listeners find the podcast, so if you could write about it, tweet about it, make an Instagram story with a little recording, or just tell someone you know about it, that would be a great help. Thanks to everyone who's listening to this. Guilty Feminist listeners are the best in the world. And we do love you all. And now back to the podcast. Our first guest today is the co-founder of Not One More. She oversees Not One More's internal work and coordinates with the Cambodia team, which consists of five youth environmental activists. Currently, she is working closely with the team in Cambodia as 15 young activists have been arrested for taking part in peaceful protests. Please welcome Frances Lumbrick. She is joined by Mary Menton, who is a research fellow at University of Sussex and is working closely with Not One More and Indigenous Peoples and Environmental Defenders in Brazil. Mary leads Hi. the British Academy-funded Atmospheres of Violence research project, which works to understand the experiences of defenders globally. Hello, Mary. Woo. And we also have Justine Taylor, who joined Not One More to support research into the increasing violence by police against environmental defenders in the UK. Hello, Justine! woo Justine! So, Fran, yes. you are currently working with the Cambodian team. Fifteen young activists have been arrested for taking part in peaceful protests. Can you tell us about that?
6: Yeah, so it started in at the end of July because um, a union leader, and he was also speaking out about land rights and sort of raising awareness of issues of land in the border area between Cambodia and Vietnam, Um, called Rong Chun. He was arrested, and he was, you know, quite an icon, a very popular figure in Cambodia, and this sparked protests among many young Cambodian activists, environmental activists, and also human rights and social justice activists. And This was the beginning of kind of a space of arrests and also Cambodia has been increasingly authoritarian in recent years and since the COVID pandemic there's also been a real ramping up of authoritarianism with three journalists arrested and in jail this year, uh, one of whom was writing about land issues. So yeah, so we've been trying to help coordinate the emergency response for those in jail and we've also, like our team, have also been relocated within Cambodia uh, for a while because they were very highly at risk because it was sort of their friends and colleagues who are being arrested on the streets and often yet yeah, two of my colleagues are there with their cameras sort of filming what's happening and some of them have had individual threats as well so so we've
0: been kind of in the middle of it and what does not one more do when that kind of thing happens? like what what's the? can you give us the big old thrust of not one more give us a thrust come on <laughs> Start it off with us. We want we a thrust. We love a thrust here at the Guilty Feminist. Thrust I'm a feminist, but I do enjoy a thrust. Love a thrust. <laughs> Top line, what does Especially Not One More do? Give you some thrust. If we wanted to get so that... in on this thrust, what would we be, what would we be getting in ourselves into?
6: <laughs> so the thrust of Not One More is that we listen to defenders and we try to be responsive because it's a huge variety of threats and situations. And basically what we do is we are there and we try to help in any way that we can, that we know about, or like predominantly we just do what defenders are saying we can do to help. Like, for example, that might be access to emergency funding. And this year, especially because we haven't been able to be, you know, in Cambodia or in Brazil in person we've been doing a lot of just helping people write applications um, and then helping sometimes to funnel the money um, to them and that might be to help people relocate or to help them for example get security cameras on their home or to get some training in digital security and then also yeah part of it that's really really important is raising visibility and international solidarity and so when we first started Not One More we were kind of you know we had this intention to do something to make a difference so not one more came together because basically i met two of our colleagues jane and bex and we had all had experiences of working with people at risk and i had been working in cambodia um, actually as a phd researcher working in forestry and as i was doing that research work i got to know a group of environmental activists who were all living around a forest called prelong in central cambodia And one of the activists who was involved in organising the campaign against deforestation was a guy called Shiverty. And the day I met him, he was attacked at gunpoint. And I was kind of filming it and didn't know what to do. And I sort of jumped out of the way. And at the same time, a lot of the community members who were there, like initially just two or three people, and then a whole rush, went forward and grabbed him and pulled him out from in front of the guns, completely unarmed. And then... Yeah, we got to know him and was interviewing him for the film. And then a few months later, after I got back to the UK, I got the news that he had been killed in another part of Cambodia. And so after about two years, I went back and I finished the film. And then I was feeling kind of exhausted. And I actually met Justine at Reclaim the Power Festival. And I was just thinking, like, this really has to be more than a film. And this has to be a campaign or something has to be done that's going to make a difference. And Justine was like, yeah, man. Like, basically, like, yes, you have to do this.
4: Of course, she said, yeah, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what, what other response could there That's
4: be? Yeah. Of these talk. Yeah,
6: <laughs> and then meeting Becca and Jin. Um, they had had really similar experiences. Like, Beck's works in Guinea Bissau, and she's been working with people who do undercover investigations and had to leave the country into exile for periods of time because they had been facing death threats. And so we started with basically just the intention to do something, but we had to really learn what needed to be done. And so one of the first things that we organized was a conference and that brought together a number of really, really amazing people. And also international NGOs and like one of the UN special rapporteurs and some funders and some security specialists. And, we had this idea like of basically learning what was needed, but also what support was out there.
4: Yes. So you're not stepping on people's toes. Mm -hmm, mm
6: -hmm. Yeah. And finding out like what can be done and what advocacy avenues are available, what funding is available. And what we all really noticed and began to understand is that there is actually quite a lot of support out there, but it's really not accessible to people who are frontline. And even things like, yeah, even like the term environmental defenders might be, you know, being applied to them but they wouldn't necessarily describe themselves that way. And then there's a step beyond that is like knowing that there's an emergency funding group out there who will fund defenders and, you know, like I could apply to them. It's But then you have to apply in English often or.
4: Right. So there's barriers at every turn mm-hmm. that you don't know. It. So basically you are learning where the holes are. Not you are learning but You have learnt where the holes are and tried to figure out how to support those bits.
1: Yeah, And then
4: learning on the job as well. I mean it sounds like a film. It sounds like even the use of the word defender makes it sound like an action hero. Um, (laughs) But it's so comprehensively fucked. That's Mm. what it sounds like, that there is so much support that is needed and that you're all in very precarious, dangerous situations, even helping people who are in more dangerous, precarious situations.
0: Well, that's what I wanted to ask. Is it dangerous, like, if you want to go out and volunteer, I mean, when it's safe to travel again, some of our listeners I'm sure will want to go and volunteer. Bless and love each and every one of them, and some (laughs) people have more, you know, opportunity and mobility to do that and will want to do it. How dangerous is it?
6: Um... That's a good question, and you know, that's a long pause for <laughs> It can be dangerous, but it's not. It, I think, part of the thing that I've learned is about understanding and assessing risk, and also being able to kind of clock my own fear, and being able to discern when that fear is based on a real threat and like this fear is like alerting me to something I definitely shouldn't do um, versus when it's like just the fear of the unknown, if you see what I mean. So I think there's no need to... <laughs>
0: sorry, no need to pack
6: just necessarily. Yeah, there's no need to launch into something without knowing the risks. And I think for many of us, it sort of goes step by step. And I...
0: Have you ever felt unsafe, Fran? Have you ever felt like, oh my God, I could be hurt or die here?
6: Yes, at the moment when Viti was attacked, And I was right next to him and I looked up and I saw like an AK-47 pointed at us. I was like, oh, I could die. And at that moment, I stepped backwards and sort of tried to get back towards the crowd. And at the same time, these two, three community members, like members of this activist group, went forward and they Mm -hmm. were just wearing like cotton. And just the physical contrast of like this armed, Burly soldier pointing this gun, and those guys, like with nothing, mm-hmm. just going in the opposite direction to the, you know, mm. the opposite direction. I wasn't even thinking, I was just moving out of the way of mm. the line Instinct, of the yeah. bullet. Yeah. And I, I remember afterwards um, talking to those guys, like as we were walking back, and one of them was like, Oh, but you were the closest to him, you know, because I was sitting next to Vati before the soldiers came and grabbed him and threw him to the ground and they were like, why didn't you go in and save him? And I was kind (laughs) of like, Oh,
5: like, (laughs) god, but also
6: like, that is the, that is the level of courage that some people are at. And Mm. like,
0: you know, yeah, I, I was just sort of absolutely amazed. And at the same time I think, well, why is anyone else's life less valuable than mine? Like, just because I was born in a less dangerous part of the world, they're trying to save the earth. They're not yeah. trying to save a yeah. local thing. Without yeah. the rainforest in Brazil, the earth will die. So yeah. why are their lives, you know, somehow more disposable than mine just because I'm luxuriously further away from that and I have to ask myself all those questions in terms mm-hmm. of morality, and also, I understand, you know, human beings have got a great survival instinct, and that's why we're such a successful species. Too successful, some may say, given what we're doing to the world. But we are, we have got a big survival instinct, and of course, if you're, you see a gun point in your face, you want to pull back. You don't want to jump in front, and so some people clearly have that ability to go forward. Where I, Fran make no mistake would have been with you pulling but I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, yeah. There are situations in which I would go forward where I, I, if I say in this country, I know there are situations in which I have gone forward because I recognize that my whiteness and my femaleness probably means that I am less likely to be criminalized or brutalized. Really? Um, so that there are situations, but that one, I fuck no, i I doubt it i really- do. you don't know what you do till that minute, yeah. but yeah, I doubt it and I don't know what I would do another time if it happened again, mm. like now you might because you've had that experience yeah. beyond you might think fight the instinct fight the instinct push forward and I <laughs> hope I would but my, I think my first instinct yeah, definitely would yeah I be don't yours. know
6: if I would but I remember having this conversation with Mala about this because I kind of noticed in myself like initially I was just going into this not really thinking about the risk particularly like I didn't know there were going to be soldiers there that day I was just at a protest and meeting people and filming and, and then I noticed that yeah like there's been some other times when I've been filming like on land that's been stolen by a company and there's been soldiers kind of confronting us and definitely my fear is less and my anger is much more Mm -hmm. and I remember talking to one of our colleagues about this um San Malar who's an incredibly brave environmental defender who we work with and a youth activist and he was in jail in 2015 and 2016 and I actually, I was making films about him and calling for the release of these three environmental activists who were in jail, um, before I met him. And I met him and, and talked to him about his experiences, like after he was released. And, and since, yeah, for the last couple of years, we've been working together very closely. But I remember asking him if he felt the same way that like every time, it's like every time you take a step forward, it's like the fear looks much smaller. It's like the opposite of perspective or something. And he said, yeah, it's like that. And he said, you know, before I went to jail the first time, it was like I was standing on the edge of a cliff and looking down. And I had that sick feeling of fear of like something that's about to happen. And he said, but now it's different because now it's like I'm at the top of the cliff looking down. But I know that at the bottom of the cliff, it's water. And I've been in the water and I've Mm -hmm. swum. Mm -hmm. And
0: so he was
6: just like, yeah, I don't feel that fear anymore.
0: I do feel listening to this that other people are much better than I am. Oh, I, I figure that extremely out. Extremely fundamental of the ways. Bloody hell. I mean, yeah.
4: I mean, I can't even stand <laughs> at the top of a cliff, Deb.
0: No, I mean, it's. it's, it's
4: Metaphorical it's, or, it's, or real. It's,
0: it's limited. But I also think, I think there is something in the more times you do it and the more. It, you know, this is sort of a very pathetic example, but the first lockdown I was like, what's this going to be? And this one I'm like, oh, that again. And I've got my strategies in place and that's a obviously pathetic parallel to going to jail in a Hundly
4: country. enough, this that's... is the one that I really snapped at. This is the mm. one that I really went bonkers at when they, <laughs> when they um, I think it was in December when they took the lockdown off and I went, oh, this is going to go for another year. We're mm. just going to keep doing the same mm-hmm. thing over mm-hmm. and over again. For another year this is, I really because <sighs> up until then I was very not objective because I'm living in it but I was able to just be sort of distant and angry about it mm-hmm. where that one I did not so what I'm saying is I can't do anything Life gets harder and harder for me is my metaphor.
5: Yeah. It's Uh,
0: but I think it is right though that we are adaptable. And the more times you put yourself in a dangerous situation, I remember the first time I was in a refugee camp and you know, seeing the police come or whatever, it's scary, but after a while you go, whatever you can predict will happen, this is my theory, is in places where you cannot predict what will happen, you get very frightened. The more you're in that place, the more you can predict mm. what will happen, even if that thing will be scary. The more normal it becomes to you and the more you can adapt to it. Um, I had Mary- to hold a
4: snake once for a TV show. Now, at the beginning, I, when I was speaking to them, they're like, will you hold a snake? I was like, yeah, i hold a snake. I'm from Australia. I can hold a snake. And then I turned up at the TV studio and went, I've got to hold a fucking snake. Who do you think you are, Felicity? You're not a wrangler? You have no skills with reptiles. And so they sat down and they put this python around me called Monty. Hilarious. No. no. Um, (laughs) And I was very scared and then I had to sit with it for about an hour and over like that time I was like, no, I just have a great respect for you as an animal. It did get less
0: scary. I would cancel <laughs> literally any television show if they said there's a snake involved, even in the studio. I'd just be like, "I'm sorry, Graham Norton. I really want to do your show for obvious reasons, and yet I'm unavailable suddenly." What
4: about a trouser snake?
0: Uh, I've, I've, I've I know how to deal with those. I can predict what they'll do. They <laughs> Mer- really go up and down. Madison,
2: Grace, why are you looking like that? Uh, I'm having some bad times with my, my internet, so I'm only getting about 50% of what anyone's saying. It looked like um, you didn't know what a trouser but, snake uh, was. <laughs> <laughs> trouser was the word I missed, and I was trying to work out what the word um, I missed was. <laughs> trouser snake. <laughs> but, but here am I. Yeah. the fool am I? Because I definitely should have presumed, of
0: course, it was trouser snake. It's I'm me, Grace. A feminist butt. <laughs> I was on a call with Tom Salinski today where someone talked about OnlyFans and he said, I don't know what that is, and everyone laughed and went, oh, yeah, and you've never heard of Pornhub either. And he was, like, not laughing. And I thought, oh, there's a lapse in sense of humour. And it turned out he really did not know what OnlyFans was. And when he found out, he roared with laughter. Um, he's too pure. Tom Salinski is too pure for this world. He's too pure for this world. He's on, he's on <laughs> Doctor Who sites. Um, Mary Menton, I mean, some really racy fanfic Doctor Who I'm sure. Um, Mary Menton, could you please tell us a little bit about your work?
5: Yeah, sure. Um, so a lot of what I do, I mean, part of what I do, I think I have two hats and, and that was a question coming on. Which hat should I wear? Because I am an academic, but I'm also an activist. And so half of my time I'm you know, again, helping defenders with funding applications to build a wall around their houses so they're safer or to be removed from an area to keep alive when they're on a hit list and and all those sorts of things. So you could literally be out there building a wall? Well, I don't build the walls, but I have learned a lot about uh, what you need to build a wall.
0: (laughs) Do you commission wall building? Like, do you sort of go,
5: look, you've got to do it this way, otherwise they're going to get in? <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. I'm working on my wall skills. Okay. Fine. <laughs> um, and then the other part of what I do is the research. Part of it is looking at the statistics about the number of killings of environmental defenders. So, like for example, Global Witness is uh, an NGO that has started doing a database of or rec- recording the killings of environmental defenders globally. And over the last few years, they've found. More or less, approximately uh, four defenders are killed every week. And we know that that's an underestimate because it only includes the ones that make it to the news, that make it to the recording, you know, the NGOs that find out about it or the or countries where there isn't freedom of press. We really don't know how many people are being killed. So we know that those numbers are... Are underestimates. So, one of the things that we're doing with the research is really trying to understand what's going on beyond that. We call the murders are the tip of the iceberg. You know, that's what we see, that's what gets attention. But for every person who's killed, you know, about nine or ten might have an attack or a sexual assault, another 20 or so might get criminalized or arrested. And we know that hundreds, hundreds of people are being threatened, are being having smear campaigns against them, experiencing hate speech, experiencing all sorts of other kind of forms of repression. So what we're doing with the research is trying to really get to understand beyond those numbers, because we know that the numbers are, are hiding the full story. They're hiding the full complexity of the experiences that defenders are suffering. And what is it that they need? And how can we change the situation? How can we understand who the perpetrators of the crimes are? And how do we stand in between those perpetrators and the defenders? It's not just about building a wall. And it's not just about putting up a security camera or doing a digital security camera or digital, you know, cell phone, mobile phone technology, etc. It's about more than that. And it's about the traumas that a lot of them are carrying and the mental health issues and the tendency that a lot of the defenders that we meet have and I would have to say particularly the women of just keep going keep going and don't take the time to protect themselves and to think about self-care and think about taking the time off to make sure that they're okay too and so much time fighting to defend their communities their families their forests their waters their air etc that they forget about themselves and so what Yeah, what I think for me is, you know, partially as an academic and partially as an activist, what's come really to the forefront over the last year or so is that issue of of self-care and mental health and that we need to... We, as Not One More, so my other hat, <laughs> are, are really trying to, to step up into that space of thinking about people as whole people and their needs as, in terms of well-being and not just about fences and walls and security cameras, but about keep, taking care of the person as well.
0: And is that included in your British Academy funded Atmospheres of Violence research project?
5: Yeah, so that project is we have been working for the last two years in six countries Brazil and Cambodia, Guinea Bissau, DRC, sorry, Bangladesh, and Ecuador. So those six are the countries that we've been looking at and and interviewing environmental defenders in each of those countries to understand their experiences of violence, and not just thinking about, not just murders, but thinking about violence from various different perspectives, thinking about violence where people have been removed from their lands to build a protected area, you know, that is violence as well. You're removing, forcibly removing someone in order to protect elephants. Well, what about the rights of that person who's being forcibly removed? And that is a form of violence. So understanding violence is a multi-dimensional, intersectional phenomenon. So... That's kind of what we've been doing is understanding not just the murders, but going digging deeper and understanding more about what's going on. Because the murders are the worst case scenario there when things get to the point where somebody dies. Um, but what happens before then?
0: It's very important work you're doing. Um, and I can't imagine how complicated. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high quality essentials. You'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping at 365 day returns.
1: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This mother's day surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig.
0: Justine, um, I want to bring you in now. You are, you've are you joined Not One More to support research into the increasing violence by police against environmental defenders here in the UK. Can you tell us about that?
7: Um, yeah. Oh, wow, I'm so nervous. I hope you added out those words. Um,
0: yeah, so <laughs> don't be nervous here. We're so chill. And also, if you say anything you regret, we just take it out. <laughs> Great. Thank you.
4: You might be surprised to know I have asked to have some things taken out before. So the things yep. that you've heard I thought were fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I've actually, uh, we take them out, then we give them to Grace and she makes them into a disco track. Um, <laughs> yes. She puts them on a loop on repeat with a mm. sick beat underneath.
2: Sick You've beat. described so many things I'm incapable of there. You have no idea.
0: <laughs> this How did you it. get them all in one sentence? <laughs> um, so Justine, I wouldn't have thought the UK would have needed an arm of not one more. Can you tell us more about that? So when I met Fran, like way
7: a couple of years ago, I was already involved in kind of frontline stuff a bit, but like, not like in Brazil, but I was part of Grow Heathrow, which is a community that is fighting the expansion of Heathrow Airport. And what I didn't know at the time, but I know now, is that like that was an immensely privileged kind of position to be in because as a well-known little group, we were quite protected from like the, I don't know, strong arm of the law or whatever. And then France like had this realization that what was happening in the UK was kind of also really serious because some protectors also defenders in the UK kind of self-identify as protectors a lot. And so it's quite hard to know what word to use because they also are referred to as protesters. Because if you call them an activist, then that criminalizes them because the police use activism as a form of like Terrorism, which doesn't really make much sense. What? Um, so yeah, <laughs> uh, you criminalized if
0: you're an activist.
7: Yeah. Dude. So so a really cool group called Met hall <laughs> published some of the police training materials a couple of years ago, where there was like this triangle, and at the bottom of the triangle is like protesters, people who will turn up with a placard, and then it kind of goes up the triangle until you have like terrorists at the top, and just below terrorists is like activists, animal rights activists, fracking activists, and so these people who are acting out of conviction that they want to protect the planet are being persecuted. And I think like maybe around 30 people have been referred to PREVENT, which is the police's anti-terrorism program, um, to this PREVENT rehabilitation service or something. So so people no. are being like criminalized in a really serious way. What? and um, And it's led to like massive surveillance problems. And like, it's really hard to touch upon all of the findings from our research because whilst we kind of, set about, triggered by meeting people at a conference that Not on More had set up who came to the conference to kind of talk a little bit about their experiences in the UK. And we, after we'd fundraised, like really went in to get to the bottom of what's at the crux of these anecdotes? What's actually going on? Can we get some numbers? We were so shocked by the diversity of different kinds of things that are happening here. Oh, I said shocked. It's a really expressive, emotive word. (laughs)
0: I mean uh, but- <laughs> the, the thing is I know, I kind of know in some ways because I've seen responses to, you know, people protesting with Extinction Rebellion and things like that. So it's not like I'm but I, I still am shocked that activists are being a, a one step away from terrorists. Cause I would call myself an activist. And not now, I wouldn't I'd call myself a protester now. Very I'm much a about protester. Of the triangle. Yeah. Um I've just but- got a placard. Yeah. I mean, this is me stepping back, Fran. This is me taking a big step back. No, I don't want to. I'm going to step forward and say, I'm an activist and I want to change things. I don't want to just protest about things. I want to change things. Mm. And I think that's the difference between a protester and an activist. But I do find that quite shocking. I mean, I shouldn't because Priti Patel is the Home Secretary. I mean, this started before that. Why am I shocked? I don't know. (laughs) Um, So what are you watching for here? What are you concerned about the UK government doing? What are they already doing that we should be protesting? or, or think, activating, or, act, <laughs> or, or activism against, activizing. and writing to RMPs about? Or, and what are you worried about? What's the slippery slope?
7: So when we started our research, I think a lot of it, whilst we were aware of this terrorist issue, we were m- more concerned about documenting the violence because at the moment there isn't this really good record that shows like, how much violence there is. And when we talked to other organisations about getting involved, they said, well, you know, this isn't recorded properly because, you know, well, when we and even when we started going to record it, we kind of asked protesters, you know, what did you experience? How often did you experience violence? And that now seems really na- naive because we worked with the protesters to develop our questionnaire. And they kind of said, well, you know, at the height of the violence at Preston New Road, which is a protest that went from 2017 until 2019, there were 20 beatings a day that we're aware of. And how can you document 20 beatings a day when you're the person being beaten? And then what some organisations wanted us to do was find the police complaints for all of these beatings, but protesters don't complain to the police. And they argued kind of anecdotally to us, well, you know, because protesting to the police is ineffective. But then really recently, like just in at the end of 2020, a report came out that said that only 7% of like complaints from protesters that went to the police were taken like further by the police and that's like what happened to the other 93% of complaints and in our own research one of our research questions was did you complain about this incident against yourself and I did like a quick count of how many people complained to the police and only 30 people complained and out of all of those complaints not a single one was taken seriously by the police and we interrogated this data and we would ask people like well what did you submit to the police and they would be submitting news reports their own footage testimonies witness statements things from legal observers and even then these complaints weren't taken forward because you're
0: asking could I complain about you to you yeah I'm going to report you to you yeah no. I've looked at the evidence and I don't think I did anything wrong okay then I, that's the I end I think I did a,
4: a pretty good job actually I think, <laughs> yeah. I, would have, I think I would have gone harder next time
7: I mean unbelievable <laughs> we have a, an anecdote that I think I'll say it like really broadly, because I don't want to get the person who submitted like told us about this in trouble. But basically, like she complained to the police because the police had broken her collarbone. And when when she got her complaint back, the police said that she'd been assaulted by the chair that she was sat on. So, you know, the chair, (laughs) the chair
6: she was sat on. (laughs) The police said the the chair just broke. And that was why she fell off the chair and broke her collarbone. Jeez. That's like the 70s, 80s
4: arrogance. You know, you know, like the racial violence and how blatant it used to be? Yeah. It still is, obviously. But in the 70s and 80s, cops were just like, I can just beat you because you're black and nothing's going to happen. Saying the chair beat you up mm-hmm. is like the level of arrogance that requires to be able to um,
0: put that in writing. And Black Lives Matter has demonstrated to us that while the optics may have changed, the reality hasn't for black people. And I think that uh, this is something we really do need to be completely alert to and on guard to and let them know we're watching and we're seeing it because the more that we look away, the more that they can take more permission and more permission and more permission. Mm. Now, Mary, you also speak Portuguese. Were you raised speaking Portuguese or did you learn it?
5: I learned it in Brazil. In the forest. <laughs> in the forest, and and
0: you are good enough that you can interpret to talk about uh, politics. I don't know how you've managed to do that, but it's incredibly impressive. So we're now going to ask you uh, to do some interpreting for us. And okay. then I say uh, our next guest is, and I've already said that. So just okay, that, the first one is just a link. Because now you we say know
4: Seashell Mary. she sells by the seashore. I <laughs> I can't even say it in English.
0: If you could, I
5: know. I know. Um,
4: how many languages do you speak, Mary?
5: Three. Lazy. What's the third one? <laughs> Spanish. It's, just, it's, it's almost the same.
4: It is sp- not, and that's a dirty lie. <laughs> <laughs> <Portuguese>. <laughs> <laughs> We're
5: going to get complaints
0: about that. Portuguese um, sounds Portuguese like Uganda. It's not the same. No, um, they're not the same. I'm sorry. Right? Okay.
4: It's, so <laughs> I speak this much Spanish, <laughs> and which I learned in South America. And then we ran into an Australian guy on the plane, and he started speaking Portuguese to a woman behind us. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? This is nothing like Spanish. I was like, I'll probably get a few words here and there. No, I'm still angry about it.
5: And that was
0: two decades ago. It's a whole different language, Flick. You learnt one language conversationally and you were angry it wasn't a second language. I can't. But
4: everyone's like, oh, Spanish and Portuguese are actually pretty similar. No, they are not. What's it? bomb? Those noises. What's
0: the bomb? It's it's. Look, Sorry, I'm. There's I'm so kidding. much to protest about the fact that Spanish and Portuguese <laughs> aren't the same language. Just feels very low down on our priorities in this I'm podcast. And trying to keep it light, Deborah. Okay. <laughs> These women are fighting injustice, and L4. while it is an injustice that all languages aren't the same, so you can uh, speak. You. Uh, <laughs> it Sounds a little bit colonial, doesn't it? It does. Why doesn't anyone speak attack? the same as me? What? All languages English. I can woman be more of like a man. Uh, uh, while uh, while I hear your frustration, <laughs> I don't feel it's top priority for change. At the, at the same moment. time, I like that you're protesting it. I don't think you should become an activist about it. That's okay. what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're now joined by Claudelise Santos, a Brazilian forest defender and 2019 finalist for the EU Parliament's Sakharov Prize for Freedom of Thought. She leads on Not One More's holistic security work with communities in Pará State, one of the most dangerous places to be an environmental activist. Claudelise founded the Zé Claudio and Maria Foundation in memory of her brother and sister-in-law who were assassinated in 2011 as a result of their fight to protect forests and land rights in the Amazon. Now, Mary, you also speak Portuguese. Were you raised speaking Portuguese or did you learn it?
5: I learned it in Brazil, in the forest. <laughs> in the forest. And, and you
0: are good enough that you can interpret to talk about uh, politics. I don't know how you've managed to do that, but it's incredibly impressive. So we're now going to ask you uh, to do some interpreting for us. Hello, Cloud Elise. Everything you're doing sounds so extraordinarily impressive. And has such a tragic dimension to it. You must really believe in your work. So, Mary, could you please ask Claudelise to tell us about her experience as an environmental defender in this most dangerous part of the world?
5: Ok. Cláudia, agora vai ser a tua vez, e ela ela está dizendo que o seu trabalho parece ser extraordinário e tem uma dimensão trágica, e, e queria saber um pouco de você qual é, como é a experiência de ser uma, uma defensora do meio ambiente no Brasil neste momento.
8: Bom, primeiro dizer boa noite a todas. É, agradecer a oportunidade de estar aqui falando sobre assunto tão importante que toca nós mulheres é, tanto no Brasil como no mundo e dizer que é, é muito triste nós temos que'd
5: like to thank, for thank you for allowing you know, inviting her to participate in this moment to have the da chance da, to, é, to speak but also the sadness of having to speak about such difficult times and the tragedies that are happening for all of us. The work that I do is, is a weight and it's a weight and baggage that I carry, but not not just myself but other people. Everybody who's active as a defender in Brazil at the moment is carrying a lot of weight of the history of the struggles of people like Cycloudia and Maria, and it's gotten particularly bad under the government of Bolsonaro. Mm. We are fighting for, for territory. And when I speak about territory, I'm talking not just about land territory, but also the territories of our bodies. And we are fighting, we're not fighting just for territories. We're also fighting for life and we're also fighting for justice. And these struggles for justice become even more difficult for women and especially for women who come from forested areas, women who don't have access to the normal channels of access to justice.
4: I mean, where do you even start with this um, kind of project? Because <laughs> that's everything. It's women, land, justice. That's everything.
8: Yeah, it is everything. It is everything. In a, in any,
5: and, and one of the biggest struggles that we have is to maintain ourselves within this struggle, to maintain ourselves sane, to maintain ourselves healthy and, and healthy. Mm to continue the struggle. Mm-hmm. Mm. What
0: can we do to help you, Claudia Lise, because you are there on the front line? We are in other parts of the world listening to this podcast. What can we do to support you?
8: É, ainda bem que nós temos vários parceiros e, uh, not on more aqui no no Reino Unido, é a organização mais próxima da gente.
5: We have a lot of partnerships and a lot of a lot of people who try to support us not one more is is one of them in the UK but what we need really now is to find support to create a physical space where people who are threatened and women who are threatened can go to find the find space to to learn new things to take care of themselves to take care of their mental health to have a a retreat a refuge place where they can go and that's something that she is trying to find support for and would love love that how much money would that cost
8: Right now we don't have an
5: actual number because we're in the middle of essentially doing a study of what it would take and how we could find access to alternative therapies and people to really be there to support them um, and to create a space. So we're in the midst of, of doing a study to see how much that would be. But I'm sure we can give you a, a vague ballpark number um, soon. Do you need volunteers out there? I've heard before
0: of Western people going and just forming a barrier around indigenous uh, environmental defenders, because while Westerners are there with phone cameras, it is more difficult for the state to be violent. Is that something you need or want or not?
8: (laughs) Sim, ajuda muito. E assim, não só com relação a fazer essa barreira, como também os trabalhos, como também orientar em diversos aspectos, como, por exemplo...
5: Yeah, it does help. And, you know, people like us from Not One More have been helping to create links with the outside world and to help with education or access to funding. And those sorts of things are really important. So not just as a physical barrier, but also bringing knowledge and experience and access to different avenues for support is really important. Yes.
0: Yeah. So volunteering with Not One More or a similar organization can be a useful thing to do uh, when people can safely travel.
8: Sim, sim. Sobretudo nos próximos anos que a gente vai estar efetivando a criação desse espaço físico.
5: So she's saying yes, and volunteers would be welcome, especially in the coming years as we go from this idea of creating a physical space to actually creating it and needing help running a place and building it or, you know, all the different aspects that would be involved in making that happen. And also, particularly in the coming years, as people like Clau and the people she works with are all facing a lot of political pressure from the government and a lot of threats a lot of attacks, and so any kind of support
1: can really help
5: counteract the political pressure that's been coming at them. Even though they're not political, you know, they're not part of a political party, right? But attacked as if they were.
0: Gladly, in your biography, it says that tragically, your brother and your sister-in-law were assassinated. I can't even imagine the pain and the horror of that. Is this something that is common that environmental defenders are being killed because they're standing between? Capitalism and the future of the planet.
5: Yes, unfortunately, this has become is a big problem and has become a very big problem in recent years. And a lot of our fight and our struggle and the work we do is to make sure that it doesn't become normalized because it's not normal for somebody to be killed for defending the environment.
8: And that's why
5: a lot of the work we do is to create memorials for the people who have been killed. Like Zé Claudia and Maria, the foundation is formed in their name. There are lots of work of remembering the people who have been killed, but also to support the people before that happens. We have cases that we're supporting people who we've had to support them to be able to move from their homes in order to not die, to not be assassinated before the end of the year.
1: What what is
4: the threat? Why is the threat so great that people are dying, or not dying, people are being killed and assassinated? What do they perceive this great threat is?
8: The threat that the defenders
5: represent is that they are a barrier between what the killers want, the greed that they want. Maybe it's land. Maybe it's the forest resources. <clears throat> so they see them as getting in the way, and the best way to be able to get what they want is to is to kill them to get them out of the way. Okay. So, sorry, Flick, you go.
4: No, I just. How do you even start to surmount that level of corruption?
8: is. sinceramente não sei, e eu agradeço. I really don't know, I don't know where, how do
5: you do this, but one of the things that you do or that we have is the partnerships we have Within Brazil, there is CPT, the Pastoral Land Commission. There's frontline defenders. There's not one more. There are a lot of social movements united within Brazil. There are people who are out there trying to support defenders um, so that they continue in their fight and continue to stay alive. But it is a very, very difficult difficult struggle and a difficult task.
0: Well, thank you for doing it because you're saving the whole world. You know, if you... Take care of rainforest in Brazil. That affects, you know, our ability to breathe. It does not lost on us.
8: I also have to thank you for that. Because when we talk about this, when we talk about the forest,
5: and she's saying, you know, she also is very grateful and she knows that we all know that the forest can't defend itself and if we're going to continue to keep the forest standing, we have to be protecting the people that do this. And it is important and we all recognise the role that defenders have because the forest can't protect themselves. We need to keep the, the defenders alive in order to protect the forests that are important for the
0: rest. And also because the defenders are human beings who are val- brilliant, heroic human beings who, who are out there doing something that's for all of us with and risking their lives. So thank you, Claudelise. And we will ask not one more for ways that we can share information about this, draw more attention to it, raise more money for it, and bring you more solidarity from around the world through The Guilty Feminist. And once you you have details about this refuge with, uh, you know, places where women can get care and be protected and uh, r- reset um, and be nurtured, um, we would love to help with that. That's really up our street. We could really help with that. And
4: guilty feminists mobilize.
0: Yeah. They P. really do. You can't e que... see this at home when you're listening, but Claudely smiled so beautifully and broadly and clapped her hands. That was the first time we've seen her smile. So we're going to do this. <laughs> she deserves to smile more.
8: Sim, eu, bom, eu quero agradecer profundamente, né? Do fundo mesmo do meu coração e... Um, she
5: wants to thank you from the bottom of her heart and, and just this every time that people offer help that give support, it makes it, it it makes her smile. And there's been we've cried so much, it's time to hope, hopefully find some hope and find some reasons to smile. And so she's just really grateful for being being able to be here and for the support that, that means so much. Claudely Santos, thank you
0: so much. Woo! so can i ask our guests because we need to wind up so this podcast isn't four hours long um is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say and how can our listeners help you oh boy we have one hell of a wish list great okay long justine you go first
7: so one of the top things for me personally is that, you know, we're really struggling to gather all of this data on of all of the assaults that have happened. And like, there's a lot of sexual assault and like strip searching and stuff like that. And so to have some volunteers, we benefit so greatly when someone can contribute like a couple of days to helping with this data gathering.
0: Is that in the UK? In the UK. And can they do that
7: while being locked down? Yeah, it's a really great thing to do while being locked down. Yeah, and it's also the data gathering is not fun, but being part of a community is amazing.
4: So if anyone is just hankering, hankering to do a bit of admin, loves an Excel spreadsheet, getting touch. Got yeah, the emotional bandwidth. <laughs> emo- and got the emotional bandwidth, yeah.
0: And is currently at home, not at the pub because there's nowhere to fucking go. Do you know what I'll do with that hour that I was going to sit in the pub with my mates, or go to the gym, or do this or that? Do you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to do this (laughs) because that's going to make a big difference. So if you're feeling a bit purposeless in lockdown and it like, what do I get out of bed for? And my job's more boring when I'm doing it my own at home. All of that. This is a great thing to do. And Justine, how do they get in touch with you to say that they would like to volunteer for that? Um, My email address is Justine at notone.more.org. And not one more is an N-O-T, the number one M-O-R-E. Yeah.
7: So all of the data on police conduct and the way that bailiffs have also been treating environmental protesters in the UK is being crammed into this report that we've written um, that kind of covers all of the research that we did throughout the past year. We're going to release it really soon and we'd really love help promoting it. We love, like defenders have said that they really like this to lead to a public inquiry, which is a huge ask. And so any help towards that kind of lobbying would make all of the difference for us. Really, it would, I sincerely would love help with that. Thank you.
0: Great. OK, we will get on that. Uh, anything you want help with, also put Front and Centre on your website and our listeners will go on there. And I know they're all going to get behind this. Fran, anything you came to say that you did not get to say? And how can we help? Cloudly say, as she
6: said, you know, we're raising money and we're really looking to start a retreat center in Brazil, in the forest. Um, hopefully that could be built actually on her family's land, like the they live on a forest reserve. And also, we're really keen to start a retreat center in the UK as well, um, especially because sometimes people really need to get out of the country that they're in. Mm. And also because, as you know, as we've been saying, there's a lot of need here in the UK as well for activists like Stop HS2 activists, anti-fracking activists, XR. We're also interested if anyone has any land that they're not doing anything with.
4: No, <laughs> mate. Loads. loads. Brian, you are not going to believe this.
0: <laughs> my, room, I room, my, the room, my flat is actually flat. <laughs> it's actually flat. We could build Perfect. a little retreat up there. All right, we're moving in, Deborah. No council there'll be no council approval for that, but I don't think we need it. We're activists. We're close to terrorists. Don't say this. If you're listening, this is a joke. This is this is a comedy and it's a joke. If you're listening from the government, I'm saying that wryly and ironically, I will neither disobey planning permission nor am I an activist close to a terrorist. Just to be very clear. If I need the full recording in court at any point in my life.
4: <laughs> where um, do you need the land friend well we may as well just throw it out there <laughs> just in case
0: where yeah anywhere really in the UK um, in the UK yeah,
6: yeah. I'm
4: just narrowing it down to a and country they
0: don't uh-huh. need to give you the land they just need to give you permission to build a retreat on the land yes
6: we yeah. need it for quite a while
0: Right. So they don't need to sign it over to you. They just need to give you permission to build and for yes. the for the foreseeable. Yeah. Yeah. They, they can't mm-hmm. give it to you for six months and then when you've built something amazing, take it back. Um yeah. like but they can't Airbnb
4: <laughs> it in the <laughs> no. Airbnb.
0: Okay, great. Mary <laughs> maybe in between.
5: <laughs> anything you came to say or anything you'd like us to do? I think the one thing that we haven't said yet. I think we've touched on it and the importance of solidarity. Part of what we're doing is trying to make sure that people who are on the front lines don't feel alone um, and finding ways to show up. And that may be by giving an hour of your time for admin, or it may be by donating some money so that we can help you know, help build this retreat center or help help build a wall.
0: <laughs> Can we all follow you and retweet you and repost your content and try and get other people to get engaged and involved?
5: Yes, that kind of thing as well, because a lot of it is also visibility and it's about putting pressure on the government in Brazil, the government in Cambodia, and, and, and really using the skills and the access that we have here. hmm pressure abroad and i think that you can yeah so it's about st- showing up in whatever way you can if it's you know justine and i were talking about bringing mince pies to protesters on, on the front lines or you know making tweeting sending letters it does there's so many ways uh, it actually
4: seems crueler to take mince pies in my personal opinion <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she's
0: not why does everyone
7: mince hate mince pies this is not fair they for one They're reason
4: a- Staple of joy. They are not made of meat. That's what mince is. I'm sorry, I'm Australian. Meat pies have mince in them. They have lamb mints. They have beef
0: mints. I do see your point. I think Thank it's an you. archaic use of the word
4: mince. Mince pie. And who's putting? Anyway, you do great work. And but
7: Mary's point stands <laughs> like... The friend, like friendship, is a really key part of the soul of Not One More, and it was so important for us to have Clow on the podcast because, like, beyond someone who we just work for or work with, she's someone who we we love. And in this year, like researching the violence on the front lines, like becoming so close and becoming friends with people who are doing amazing stuff is, like, I think it's changed their lives and it's changed our lives. And yeah, I like maybe turning it with mince pies is super gross and not a thing to do. But, like, turning up with your
0: heart is kind of yeah. Employed. Or, listen, an iced vovo, if you're, as an Australian, would prefer, Ooh. or a Tim Tam. Uh, a Tim these tam. are golden gay time. These are Australian treats that or other arrow people root. don't understand. A milk harrow root, a nice biscuit, pronounced nice. nice. There's so many options for you. It's a lot Drink of options. bag about of cherry it. ripes, if you will, Felicity Ward.
4: Oh, that's um, my number one. A packet of mint slices, perhaps?
0: Yes, these are all brilliant Australian <laughs> trees <hate> um, <laughs> Can we go to your website and find out how we can get involved, whether that be by bringing loads more attention to Not One More, if that's all we've got and all we can do, or whether it could be contributing funds and money, or whether we think, oh, I've got an acre of land that that <laughs> these guys could use. And I'd love to have some lovely environmental defenders on it, restoring and healing and repairing. I mean, it would be great karma if you did have some land and you really opened that. It'd be great karma. If there is an afterlife, you are getting so many points. If the good place is real, uh, that's a lot of points. So I, I would think about that. If not, maybe we could all chip in and buy you some land. Yes, please. There's all sorts of options there. Um, Mary is giving the thumbs up to that. She would like us to buy... Not one more some land. But I think mean, some there's some land that's not very expensive. I think it's gonna be all doable. I think it's um, doable. Get involved, follow them on the socials, go to their website. Let's get involved. Let's get together on this because I think if this is not a place for feminism, women defending the environment, which is our world, our collective world, and you know, going towards danger and needing to restore and heal and repair, then what is? I don't know. Grace Petrie, Hello. have you got a revivifying song that's going to make these women feel like carrying on another day in this harsh, oh, harsh world? jeez. <laughs> no we, pressure, Deb. My God, We are looking to you very specifically are to you? feel good about ourselves right now.
8: <laughs> what
4: have you got for us? These women's lives hang in your balance. <laughs> <laughs>
0: she's got her Bob Dylan harmonica out. I don't so know, man. It's serious, it's serious activism. It's going to be It's not fun. just protest, it's activism when she's got the harmonica out.
2: You've, really, uh, you've got high hopes, haven't you, for the power of folk music, you guys? Um, Grace, uh, you're
4: all we've got.
0: <laughs> I've heard you before and I've, I have felt inspired. I've done more because of you,
4: That's Grace. That's very nice. Every time I every time Grace is about to sing, I'm like, Oh yeah, Grace is great. And then she sings. I'm like, Grace is actually spectacular in every
0: way. And why don't I <laughs> listen to folk music all the time? Yeah. And I just want to change. That's it's what I think. Very motivating. It's, it's very motivating. And very um, emotional. It's yeah, very emotional, Grace. Grace's songs. So uh I don't she know has why got I one angry. that goes, uh, you build a wall, we'll build a ladder. And I don't think that's appropriate here because uh the walls that are being built in today's podcast are by the good guys so uh, that, that that's one we can't true. see today
2: no that's not the one i was gonna go for um can you guys hear me okay can you hear the guitar yeah yeah yes. cool. um i'm gonna do my best to get through this i'm having a i'm having a shocking time with the old wi-fi but uh live live television ladies and gentlemen um but uh, so i uh what uh, what, uh, what uh, blimey i say this, i feel like i say this every time but what an incredible what an incredibly inspiring cohort of people to be able to sort of uh, listen to this evening. Um, And uh, yeah, I think you're all absolutely amazing. I I think the key word that came up a couple of times is solidarity, isn't it? Um, I think at the end of the day, you know, we, we do, we need that throughout all of these campaigns. And, um, and I think, you know, like maybe more so than ever this past year, I think it's been very easy to feel isolated. And I think that is the opposite of motivating, isn't it? I think the idea that we're all a part of something bigger than ourselves is the most motivating force uh, that there can be in in activism. Um, So, yeah, I wrote this song a long time ago. I wrote it um, in uh, 2015 when we just lost an election uh, and... You know, heaven knows we've lost a lot more elections since then. But um, we thought that was going to be the worst of it. <laughs> we did. Oh, those were the days, weren't they? Like my gosh. Um, but uh, basically, it's about it's about trying to um, trying to keep going, and uh, and the idea that on the days that you have, you know, a tiny, tiny, tiny amount left in your tank, you know, other people will have more in their tank, and at the end of the day, we are a big team. That's the thing to bear in mind. Um, and it's called if there's a fire in your heart, it goes. Dick Gokhan said there ain't no gods Excuse me while I shout the odds The leaders have their cattle prods But we have the stage
4: I look around and all
2: I see Is disempowered misery And they dress it up as apathy And say we don't care But if there's a fire In your heart It only needs to be a candle. Every fire in the world it started from one spark So take the fire in all our hearts We will be more than they can handle Take my hand in here tonight And we will light up all the dark I know there's winter all around And I see your spirits getting down You thought we would have turned things around a bit by now But I need you to have faith in us A generation brave enough To build a world on peace and love It's never too late Cos if there's a fire in your heart It only needs to be a candle Every fire in the world started from one spark So take the fire in all our hearts We will be more than they can handle and take my hand in here tonight And we will light up all the dark
0: guests Fran Lambrick Mary Menton Justine Taylor and Claudine Santos with music from Grace Petrie the Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark and produced by Nick Sheldon the producer was Tom Salinsky for the Spontaneity shop thanks to Rachel Craftman Gina Dicio and everyone else who made this episode happen as well as all of you for listening for more information about this and other episodes visit guiltyfeminist.com Woo!
1: <laughs>
5: You speak, Mary? Three. Lazy. What's the third one? <laughs> Easy. Spanish. It's, just, it's, it's almost the same.
4: Pretty... It is not, and that's a dirty lie.
5: <laughs> Portuguese. <laughs> Portuguese.
4: You,
0: we're going to get complaints about that. Portuguese um, sounds Portuguese like Spanish. It's not the same. No, um,
4: they're not
5: the same. I'm sorry. Right. Okay.
4: It's, so <laughs> I speak this much Spanish, <laughs> and which I learned in South America. And then we ran into an Australian guy on the plane, and he started speaking Portuguese to a woman behind us. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? This is nothing like Spanish. I was like, oh, I'll probably get a few words here and there. No, I'm still angry about it, and that was two decades ago. It's a
0: whole different language, Flick. You learnt one language conversationally, and you were angry it wasn't a second language. I can't. No, no. But
4: everyone's like, oh, Spanish and Portuguese are actually pretty similar. No, they are not.
0: What's it? Boom! Those noises. What's boom? It's it's. Look, Sorry, I'm. There's I'm, so I'm much kidding. to protest about the fact that Spanish and Portuguese <laughs> aren't the same language. Just feels very low down on our priorities in this I'm podcast. To...
5: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
4: This said, light, Deborah.
0: Okay. These women are fighting injustice. And Elf, like, while it is an injustice that all languages aren't the same, so you can uh, speak to uh, It sounds a little bit colonial, doesn't it?
4: It does. Why doesn't anyone little, speak the same
0: as me? Why all languages English? Why can't women be like a man? Uh,